Boom. Rise and shine, mother effers. It's Joe and Mike. Build assets online. Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties. But you know what? That goes along with the theme today. Joe's just waking up. Look at him. He's got the pillow. I know he's got the blanket somewhere. But happy everybody could join us on this fine, fine Saturday morning. Joe, were you of the age where, like, cartoons would be on Saturday morning? Was that, like, a big thing? Absolutely. Uh, Pokemon was a big Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, true. I remember when when Charizard, when uh, Charmeleon evolved into Charizard, that was a big day. <laughs> I, I actually recorded it on a VHS tape. Wow, that's facts. Yeah. Have you, have you watched it since? Do you think you could find it? Oh, yeah. I've definitely watched it on YouTube. Like, probably You've watched the, it like recently? Uh, probably in the past couple of years. <laughs> I might watch it again after this. Yeah, you know, if you were on your uh, your computer, we could we could watch it here live on stream. But unfortunately, you're on the the Samsung know, man, table right computer, now. My computer's not working. I don't know. It's the the monitor's not going on, so I don't know what's wrong with it. Well. That, that fits right in because today we're going to be talking about supplier horror stories. And Joe, I just realized we're coming up on six years of drop shipping. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we started our first store in like March of 2016. So we're only two months away from the anniversary of that. And so I think it's fair to say since then we've been, we've gone through a lot of suppliers. We've encountered hundreds of suppliers you know, that we've onboarded ourselves and we've seen some stuff. So I figured the best way to organize it today, I didn't want this to be like a, like a, like a story hour where we're just telling like one-off stories. I kind of organized it into different archetypes of supplier issues because under each supplier issue, I feel like we've had multitudes of stories that we could talk about. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to be like held up to having to remember any exact story, but you know, you know how it is. We like to we like to riff a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if we've. I mean, you know the issues better than me. I, I could think definitely think of a couple, but um, I don't know how many there have been. I know because you know, I think I think I have a bit more tolerance to these types of things than you. Um, you know, because sometimes when, when when shit hits the fan in the dropshipping world, it could be a little bit of a not a make or break moment, but a, a mental test for a lot of people. They they think, is this worth it? Should I still be doing this? <clears throat> and I, I kind of want the theme of this video to be that it's still worth it. And if you can recognize these patterns early on, then you're going to be less likely to fall into a situation where you're just stuck with a, a shitty supplier, like a bad relationship, and it kind of dooms the store. So we're going to go over some of these points. We're going to talk about some instances that have happened to us and uh, why, you know, you should not be working with suppliers that are making you do this or working heavily with, with these suppliers. Right, right. Yeah, so it's good to start by uh, by specific issue. I think that makes sense. Right. So we're going to jump right in. So I have some nice pictures to accompany this uh, presentation. Dawn444555 said hello from the UK. This is a big UK hours right now. 
Pip Pip. Pip Pip. It's like, is, is it high tea right now in the UK? <laughs> He's munching on a cucumber sandwich. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to start it off with this. Freight. This is actually something I had to deal with uh, recently, like this week. And it wasn't for any particular supplier that we use. Um, it was kind of a, a shitty situation that I had to handle. And I had to handle it by using a freight broker of my own to book a shipment from one place and send it to another place. And this is the first uh, horror theme is using your own freight account. Yeah, I feel like this is never good. And we actually got Trevor in here, who's the king of using his own freight account. So maybe he can corroborate some of these uh, situations we're about to talk about. But, your, phone, your phone is vibing pretty hard, by the uh, way. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn it off. Screw them. All right, we're good. So, you know, whenever I see an overturned truck like this, I do wonder what they do for all the, the cargo in here. And I, we've never had that situation where, like, a truck is overturned that had something in it from us. But Joe, I don't know if you recall, this was on our second store. Uh, one of the first suppliers we ever onboarded, they sold like, I don't, I don't give a shit. We'll just tell them. We, they it sold like bar stools and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, we had to you know, use our own freight account for this. You know, what's funny is I, uh, this just happened literally a few days ago. I still get, well, Actually, this might be a different supplier, but I still get calls from a couple of those companies in that similar vein. Oh, yeah. Like, they still have my phone number on file, and they'll call me, like, I don't know, like, once every couple months and say and ask me about, like, a, a shipment or something. Yeah, I actually, I got a call from this company this week. You just reminded me of that. Yeah. I, yeah, because I don't know. They must have our number on files still or something. But uh, that's always a good feeling when they call you with an issue and you're like, this this does not pertain to me. <laughs> but anyway, this is one of the first suppliers we onboarded and the first supplier we ever had to use our own freight account for. And so we headed into this situation a little bit naive because, you know, when you start a high ticket dropshipping store, you're using your own or you're using your supplier's freight account. Things are a lot more easy breezy. You know, something comes in damage, whatever. You're not arranging the shipments. You're not taking care of the pickups, whatever. And something gets damaged. You know, you just tell the supplier. It usually gets taken care of as long as you follow their, you know, uh, process for when damage has to be reported and all of that. So we set up this freight account. We're like, all right, whatever, you know, we'll just ship some stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I think the first thing we ever shipped with these people was like a, it was like a bar. It was like a wooden home bar. And first order, first shipment, boom, damaged. Well, there was a particular um, freight company, if I recall, that we came to learn uh, had these issues. was a repeat offender of not handling stuff well. Correct. Should we talk about who they are? I guess. I mean, this was a long time ago, so I don't know if this still applies. 
Well, it certainly still applies. Uh, they're still around. So it's really Roadrunner is like the worst freight company you could ever use. And they're, they're really bad for a number of reasons. Roadrunner is usually going to be the cheapest uh, carrier when you go and get freight quotes on your own account. And they're the cheapest because what they do is they'll, they'll pick something up. They'll go to their terminal and then, you know, let's say they quote you, oh, it'll take you, it'll take three days to get to your customer. They, they don't give a shit about that. They say that, but they're not going to uphold themselves to that. So they, they'll stop at their terminal and what happens is they wait for a whole bunch of other shipments to come in until they fill the truck at that terminal and then they'll go to the next terminal and, you know, it goes on and on. So we've had things we've shipped with Roadrunner and not even on our accounts with like other suppliers that have used Roadrunner. Sometimes they like suppliers have relationships with them, but yeah. like, like a, like a five day shipment takes like three weeks and it's just, it's just madness because you can't get in touch with these people. Freight is like, is like the mob, you know, you ever see the Irishman? I haven't, Mike, but be careful what you say, because I think um, maybe there's some truth to that. Well, that's all I'm going to say is that, you know, watch the Irishman. You know, see the freight, the freight business is uh, heavily embedded. You know, well, Jim Hoffa, the, the Teamsters Union, all the freight, whatever. I'm not going to say more than that. But anyway, first shipment for one of our first orders on this new store, we ship it on our account. Boom, broken. We had no insurance. We didn't know like that was the thing we had to get. And we're basically just scrambling on, on how to fix this situation. And luckily, the customer was willing to take, I believe they took some sort of discount um, as compensation for the issue. And we didn't have to get it shipped back. But there have been plenty of situations where we have tried to ship stuff on our own account. It gets broken. The customer, you know, they sign off on it wrong. They don't, they try to send it back all these things. And you're just left in a bind. You're let, you're left holding the bag literally because it's your account and you're responsible for say refunding the customer. If they don't want the item anymore, it's damaged, whatever. And you have to go and you have to file an insurance claim and it could take weeks for the insurance claim to go through. Maybe they deny you. We've had students in the group talk about this as well. Uh, someone posted in like the wins channel how they won like a bunch of insurance claims. Yeah. And so, but this is not something you, you want to be dealing with. This should not be taking up your time. It's so much easier to just spend, say that hour, that two hours that you'd be scrambling around doing insurance stuff, trying to put out all these fires. Just call more suppliers. That's a nice rhyme for you, Joe. <clears throat> Yeah, that's true. The one thing about the freight industry is I feel like they uh, they kind of have everyone by the the balls. Like that's true. Like I'm like back. I mean, I guess I don't know if this was like a year ago or six months ago. At this point, like when there were all those mandates or whatever, and the the truckers were gonna protest. I feel like so much of the like the whole economy is reliant on these freight companies and it's not like there's like an unlimited supply of them so i feel like <clears throat> they they can get away with a lot 
hundred percent. And that's in the Irishman too. Do you know Jim Hoffa? The I mean, it sounds like a union thing. He was like a big. He was like a big. Uh, I mean, the name sounds familiar. Political guy. Yeah, but he was. He was part of the. He was like the head of the Teamsters union, and like the Teamsters are the truck yeah. drivers, like all that shit. And in the movie, I, it's probably a real quote, but he's like, "Blah blah blah blah." You have this. It was brought to you by a truck. It was brought to you by a truck. Making making the same point that everything that we have is brought to us on trucks. It's brought to us by these people. So it is it is uh, quite a precarious situation. But really, the lesson to be learned here is Janelle says he's swimming with the fish. Uh, I believe he's actually buried. In, in inside Giant Stadium. That's the rumor. But <laughs> yeah, so the, the lesson to be learned here is using your own freight account, very big risk. And so you're much better off just using your supplier's freight account. If uh, you have a company that wants you to use your own, just uh, reconsider your relationship with them. And when you do have to use your own freight account, you have to use a very reputable carrier. You can't be using Roadrunner. Uh, I don't know what other shitty ones there are off the top of my head, but anything but Roadrunner. But like YRC is pretty good. SAIA, S-A-I-A, Estes, uh, RNL, Old Dominion. Those are all decent carriers. When you start to cut corners with this, it just it cuts into your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's move on to the next one. So <laughs> this is actually uh this is just some broken furniture here. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the freight stuff, but not necessarily having to do with shipping on your own freight account. This is just working with suppliers that don't know how to pack it pack their products. So they don't get damaged. Suppliers with high damage rates. Well, this, I don't remember. I, I don't know exactly where this story falls into, but the most prominent uh, supplier disaster story in my mind was it was actually on the same store that we were shipping out of some sort of, uh, I guess some sort of table game. And we were at our friend's house you know, we're actually discussing like an FBA business or whatever. And the guy running this business, you know, we had issues with the stuff breaking and the guy running this business, you know, he, he called you and you had him on the phone and he's like, you know, you're, you're, he was basically, you were trying to solve the problem or like whatever you're like, what? And then he's like, you know what? I don't know if we could do business together anymore. And you said, okay, good. Or like, okay, fine. And then he hung up and then you guys hung up. And then he called you back like five minutes later. And he's like, you know, I think we could do it if we do it this way. <laughs> that is who I was thinking of. And I was trying to get a good uh, image of like, it, it was basically like um, a shuffleboard table. Yeah. We had the shuffleboard table company and it was ran, it was run by this guy who was like the owner of the company. And that that's a, that's a huge red flag. When the owner of a company is in in the dirt like that in the mud grinding 
it's just not a good look because it screams uh, a lack of business aptitude. Yeah, this is that. I would say this is probably one of the biggest ones. I mean, we're going through something with this right now. Yes, yes, for sure. When a when a an owner of a company is too deep in the weeds of their business, it is never good. The owner of a company should be focusing on higher order tasks, how to structure the business, how to get a more quality product in the door, how to provide better service. But they should they shouldn't be the one on the ground floor in the warehouse calling me a dealer that's done like five sales with them and having like arguing matches with me about, about these broken tables. It doesn't make any sense. You know, Mike, is it, is there any sort of irony that we want to take it easy, but in order for us to do that, we got to leverage these uh, highly organized companies. Well, I mean, I'd say the socialists would probably have an issue with that. The commies would. <laughs> we're, the, we're the bourgeoisie. But, the, I, I mean, listen, we're not taking it ease. <clears throat> listen, we're taking it ease. But we're not I'm taking it ease. And we're, we, we work hard on other things. You know? I think, uh, number one, even with our companies, we employ people. They do work. But we're responsible for creating the whole business structure around that. Anything yeah. you do, I mean, number one, like we just said, anything you do was brought to you by a guy on a friggin' truck. There's so much that goes into every little particle that that we're in, like, or that we're surrounded by. You're at a desk right now. Who who shipped the desk? Who made the desk? All this stuff. Taking it ease is is a personal is a personal no. goal right like there's no reason that the warehouse worker can't take it ease if he you know saves up 401k all this stuff financial independence retire early and then they can take it ease but it's all it's all about the path that you choose right no i guess i guess what i'm saying is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it was more of a philosophical thing listen i'm down to get philosophical but trevor has something real life to say he said i have one that over packages their stuff and it cuts into margin with freight costs selling it map loses me money on under 1k items i brought it up to the owner and they're updating map next month see this is a good thing obviously yeah the packaging thing is an issue but the owner is being willing to adapt is a positive sign we're going to go into some more of this stuff, actually, uh, and as we get more deep into these themes here. But I've brought this up to people. Uh, like, for example, I was thinking about the instance you were talking about, Joe. But I was also thinking about how we had um, the supplier. that They were actually a good supplier for us. But we would sell these, like, bathroom vanities. And they were kind of, like, they were on the smaller side. And they would sell pretty well, but every time we would ship one, they would wind up broken. And so luckily it was on their account. They would kind of handle it, but it was like, there was a, there was a mismatch there. They weren't packaging it well enough. It wasn't being sold at a high enough price and it kind of just screwed over everybody. You know what I'm saying? If it was a better packaged unit, 
and maybe it was sold at a bit of a higher price, then we'd be able to make more money. The customers would get a good product and then we'd be able to sell more of them for the supplier. But in this situation, it would be, it came damaged. We were barely making money on it anyway. Customers were getting pissed. The suppliers had to deal with a bunch of shit just to get the things back. I'll do the freight claims, all that. And so it wasn't really worth it for anybody. Yeah, now that we're talking about this, it makes me realize how like not great of a situation it is for you shipping stuff on your freight account because it's, it's the supplier who has immediate access to all the components of freight, like how, how it's packed and how it's picked up and everything like that. Like if like they're in the position to ship it on their account and handle any claims that can come along with that and not, not you. Yeah. It's like you said, they're the ones that could actually fix the issue. Yeah. We're just going in blind. We have no idea how they packed it. And you know, the guy at the warehouse is freaking running around with the forklift. He's on Xanax. You know, he's freaking, <laughs> he just stabs a hole in it. <laughs> so why should we be responsible for that? We have, we're totally out of touch with anybody in the warehouse. And, yeah. and uh, on the contrary, I've actually, one of our um, better suppliers, I've, I was talking to them recently and they were saying how they had this one product that used to ship freight. But then he was, he was at like some trade show and he saw this thing that basically like almost uh, shrink wraps around the, the item and then creates a mold around it. And they, they have it at the own where at their own warehouse. So they're basically able to better insulate the product. And therefore, instead of shipping it freight, they could ship it uh, UPS and there's less damage. It's easier you know, it's, it's cheaper. And so that's an example of like, what's <sighs> hire a person in the company should be doing. Right. That's what, a suppli- that's what a supplier should be working on. Yeah. They shouldn't be the one with loading the pallets and, and yelling at me over the phone about, about some shit, you know? So I don't know. Uh, How many people do we have in here? I can't even see. 24. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So actually, I want to uh, get to something. Don says he hates cucumber. So he says it's fourteen forty nine there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Reza said, "Hey, hey, from Romania." Hello. Connor says, "If I have a supplier that ships higher ticket orders using freight, should I be worried?" No, absolutely not. I think the majority of things that we ship, ship freight, and the majority of expensive things that you're going to ship are going to ship freight or, or uh, heavy things. They just have to ship freight. It's just a matter of is is the supplier violating one of these principles? Are they making you ship it on your own freight account? Do they have a high damage rate? And if something is made of, of wood, it's just going to naturally have a higher damage rate. Um, but there are plenty of good suppliers we've shipped many many wooden products of all price point of all weights and there's just some suppliers that aren't packaging their stuff well and it causes a higher damage rate so no i don't be worried about shipping something freight at all i don't know why people get all hung up about this and i think this is like something that really actually um 
steers people away from high ticket drop shipping because they think freight is bad. Uh, they want to ship everything with like e-packet. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's not it's not an inherent issue. Tim said, "Yo." Don said, "You mentioned cucumber sandwiches, and if it was high tea, that's why." Yeah, no, we know. Yeah. We want to know what you're eating during high tea. He's taking the key. It's just a mayo sandwich. Scones, scones. They like scones, right? <laughs> yeah, just scones. <laughs> Financial freedom fighter. <laughs> I actually looked at him. <laughs> you, do, you, do, you, do you think pressure washers washing is a good niche? Not sure if the margins will make it profitable, as they are very heavy. Yeah, it it could be fine, but um, I feel like yeah. I mean, I think there's ones for like regular household stuff that are probably too cheap, but I mean, there's definitely a wide range of pressure washers. So I, I feel like um, it's going to depend how you create and approach the store because I think you can build a whole thing around pressure washing and pressure washers, but I, I, I would more target it to the, the business owner that maybe has a pressure washing business. Yeah, like landscaping something like that. We just did a whole episode a couple weeks ago about like janitor supplies, stuff like that. So I have, I don't think we've talked to this person before. That's the first time I've seen their name. So if you're new to our content, definitely check out some of our older, our previous videos. Uh, where was, where is this? Go to buildassetsonline.com slash class to watch your free class. You can see exactly how we set up our stores, items we've sold before. And this makes all the difference because it's not about like you shouldn't be hesitant about what the margin is of a particular set of products. You shouldn't be hesitant about, oh, they're heavy. I shouldn't do this. It's all about how you set up and how you angle the store that diversifies um, your product selection and make sure that no matter what you start out with, you're going to wind up with a situation where you're going to have products with good margins. You're going to have good suppliers, et cetera. So hope that answers your question. Yeah, I'm just browsing through a pressure washer store right now on my, my phone next to me. Um, yeah, I think like there's a lot here that's worth exploring. And, you know, it's, it's always the, the wrong approach to ask, is X a good niche? And I, 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 I don't know if we're going to get into that right now, but if you watch a lot of our old episodes, you check out the class, you'll see why it doesn't make sense. I don't know why something's going on where everyone is like programmed to ask that question. I mean, I get it. It's like, I get it too. I'm not uh, putting them down. I'm just saying it's a, it's a paradigm that needs to be broken. Yeah, for sure. Break that paradigm by going to build slash class. But let's move on. We'll get to some more of the questions uh, in, a, in a little minute. Um, so this, this one here, we're going to call this poor customer service or poor service on the behalf of the supplier. So in your high ticket drop shipping journey, as it were, there's often times where you may not be able to solve your customer's problems, whether an item is more technical or it's just you don't have access to the parts, whatever it is, uh, there's going to be times where your customer is going to have to work 
with the supplier in some capacity to have a solution solution created. And we've had suppliers that just absolutely suck at this. And part of it goes along with poor product quality, but also part of it is poor people quality or poor customer service from lack of systems because the owner is in the warehouse kicking over friggin' shuffleboard tables. Um, but I have, I have a specific supplier in mind, Joe. They were from a previous store, one that actually – same one that coincides with all these other things we're talking about. But um, they sold like ice makers. They sold a lot of different things. They were a huge company. And for some reason, these products were pretty popular, but they didn't have map. So we didn't really sell a whole lot of them. Anyway, these products suck. And from talking to someone in the uh, the ice machine business, I actually I brought up their name and he was like, oh, those things are pieces of junk. Like they literally don't even they, they just never work. Oh, did you bring this up to our? current warehouse manager yes okay yes he knew he knew of the brand and he just said that they they just literally don't work okay (laughs) so whenever we would sell one of these inevitably a large chunk of the time there'd be an issue and then the customer calls us obviously because they bought it from us but we're not able to you know we don't handle the warranty we don't handle the service the dispatching so we have no choice but to forward them over to this company and this company, they're hard to get a hold of. Maybe they say they're going to ship a part out. They don't do it. Maybe they say they're going to send somebody out there to go service it. They don't do it. They say they're going to take, you know, pick up the machine, replace it. They're slow to do it. And so this creates uh, what I would call the opposite of a love triangle. I hate triangle. Because you're stuck in the middle. You can't do much. All you can do is try to calm the customer down. The customer's pissed at you and the supplier. You're pissed at the supplier. You're trying to settle down the customer. The supplier is over here not giving a shit. And you really can't do anything. But you have the most risk because it's on the, the payment has been made to you. If a customer doesn't charge back, it's on you. And we've had this with this company where we've had chargebacks against us. And it's like, we, number one, we actually sometimes we don't even know like what's going on. They'll just contact direct. And then they have, you know, all this stuff happens and we have no idea. All we see is a chargeback. And we have to, you know, come to find out all these things happen. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And uh, yeah, so this is, this is something you want to avoid. When you see a supplier where a customer is coming to you and they're saying, you know, I called, they didn't do this. Uh, it's it's just a red flag to not try and sell these products out the wazoo because it's only just going to create more hours of having to manage this hate triangle. Right. And it's, and it's a balance, isn't it? So if you have, rather than, if, if you bid low on these products, you don't put a lot of emphasis into selling them. And you sell them once in a while, it's not likely to create a major set of headaches. 
and then you, f you focus on getting more suppliers and you know developing a more streamlined situation right? exactly yeah because it's not like this will happen every single time you sell an item but if it happens 10 percent of the time the more you sell the more these issues are going to wind up on your phone line in your inbox and the more time overall it's going to take up so you have to consider with the margin you're making is it worth it considering all this time and headache that has to go into servicing the orders for this supplier are we going to talk about back orders at all or because i feel like this kind of this kind of ties into the back order thing because and taking too many back orders if you have a supplier that is constantly saying they're going to get stuff in and then they don't get it in and they say they're going to get it in and then they don't get it in and if you put all your budget on selling stuff like that, that could be well, a, a problem. Don't spoil it, Joe. We are going to get into that type of thing. Okay. Okay. So what else? Okay. So, so this is this poor customer service. I think people get the idea here. So before we get to this next one, I want to keep answering these questions here. Um, our boy Reza from Romania said, do you think solar panel, wind turbine generators, et cetera, are good products to sell for now? You could start with that, see how it goes. So when you set up your store, the way that we describe inside of our course, um, you're basically able to pick a niche, go into a set of products with very, very minimal risk of what's going to happen if, for example, solar panels are not the most uh, fruitful niche. And this is good for a number of reasons. Number one, I actually don't think that type of statement is ever true. Like, oh, solar panels is a bad niche. What's more likely is that you just have not great suppliers for solar panels because you're so new to the industry, like the good ones don't let you in. So when you focus on a number of things, you set your store up in a certain way, you're able to get, you know, good, decent suppliers when you start out, get some initial sales. And then as you build clout in the industry, you can go back to the solar panel people, <clears throat> get the best suppliers, go back to the wind turbine people, get the best suppliers. And now you can really, uh, get the benefits, get the best of those niches versus just creating like a solar panel store. You try to get in with some people, maybe you get in with one, two, but they're not that great. And then you're kind of stuck from there. So yeah. Um, check out our course, check out buildassetsonline.com slash class. And you can see how we, how we set those things up. Anyway. Uh, Yassine said, in the commercial restaurant equipment niche, I closed nine suppliers. Most of them give only 10% margin on the map price. Is it a bad niche? Again, no. It's just, I mean, you said most of them. So what about the other ones? All you need is one or two good suppliers to really take you from the ground floor to, you know, a couple stories up start making a few thousand bucks a month i would say it also depends on how you want to run the business i mean 10 percent profit margin is is pretty low 
but it depends on how you're getting the traffic. So if you think about an Amazon affiliate site, which I don't know if you know what that is, but basically you're referring people to Amazon for one to three, four, 5%. If it's a good category, most of the time it's probably like one to three and a half, four percent And you're getting all the traffic with search engine optimization. So your day-to-day traffic costs, once you get it going, are low. With a thing like this, if you're getting 10%, you don't necessarily, you know, you can make a lot of money by not going crazy on your day-to-day bidding on these products. Because whenever you bid on a product, it's going to lower that 10% down because your cost of like, your cost of advertising is going to be higher. But if you use SEO as your strategy for something like this, then the traffic is going to be free and you're going to get most of that 10%. So I would say it really depends on, on your approach to it. Like if you had, you know, if you, if, if you something that's like $5,000 and you get a sale without paying for the traffic, you make $500. How many Amazon affiliate commissions is that going to take? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this before. One of our probably most popular suppliers we've ever had gave us a flat 10% margin and their products were only, I mean, some of them were more expensive. They'd go up to 3000, 5,000, but like the main product was like a thousand bucks. It's like 1200 bucks. And this supplier, oddly enough, they actually used Roadrunner a lot. And uh, sometimes their products would break, but overall they were very good because they had very good service. So it was basically a situation where we had these products. It was 10% margin, not the best, but they were so popular and we sold them so easily. And it was basically effortless to, you know, handle these customers that it was very much worth it for us to do this. So it's kind of just, it depends on the supplier situation, to be honest. And it's, yeah, it's not something I really, you have to just consider what your advertising costs are and how worth it it is based on how, passive you could say it is to sell these suppliers but joe he followed up with saying only three give plus 25 percent margin so i think you're you're having a glass half empty view here if i get nine suppliers and i get three of them that have over 25 percent margin i'm i'm pretty happy just start with those three yeah i think people i mean He's asking whether it's good or bad. I think it just comes down to how much you spend to get those yeah. sales. Yeah, I'm not going to blow the budget on these on the other ones that have the 10% margin, but they can hang around. You know, they could be on the store, or whatever, light some light advertising spend, maybe some organic traffic, whatever, or maybe they serve to aid in selling the other products that have the good margin. And there you go. You got. When you're starting out, if you have three suppliers with 25 plus percent margin, I'm not, I'm not even thinking about anything else. I'm just getting started. I'm putting the spend into these and I'm, I'm getting going so I could take it ease. So the only thing that matters is how much, not the percentages, but how much you make from the product and how much it costs for you to make the sale. That's the only thing that matters. Exactly. 
Exactly. Tim said, I'm about to start running ads to my store that has items with high ticket items with high, such high ticket items that I think doing my own shipping and not accepting credit cards is going to be the only safe way for me to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're taking orders over $15,000 consistently, you want those orders to be solid. You want them to pay probably with check, ACH, whatever. So I don't see why shipping on your own account has to do with that. Um, because if a supplier is shipping on their own account, they're going to have a better relationship with the company, the freight company. They're going to have better rates and it's going to, the onus is going to be on them to package the things right or else they got to file the claims. They got to deal with all the bullshit. So I don't know why you feel like you have to take that on, but anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, Tim. Uh, so let's get into this here, Joe. Do you know what this is? Bernie Madoff? Yes. <laughs> Have you seen that, that new Netflix thing that's out? No. It's a little... Uh, it's like... Uh, it's about Bernie Madoff, but it's like fake oh, actors okay. and stuff. But it's but it's real life. Telling, telling the story of Bernie Madoff, how he scammed all these people. So this is another supplier theme here. Scammers. I don't have too many that fall into this category, but we have one big one that was well, basically. Yeah. So this, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I feel like they, you know, they're not necessarily setting out. They weren't necessarily setting out to scam us, but it was more like, I think stuff was going wrong for them internally. And they just, they tried to push that onto their, uh, dealers and like you know especially when it came to i guess they were trying to scam us but it wasn't like i don't think it was necessarily like uh like orchestrated in a way like bernie madoff would do it right the picture is just for effect but this was all pre-covid so you can't really blame this on supply chain or, or any of these other things but we had this supplier and for a while things were actually going really really well um yeah we made some big orders with them. They'd come through and like really done a good job to, you know, get these shipments out. And, and we made it a lot of money um, in the beginning. And so we started, you know, cranking up spend. And this is where it was like, oh, this is a home run supplier right here. And then over time, things started to get shady. They would give us tracking numbers and the shipments would never move. And there'd be damage issues. They'd say they were going to pick stuff up or send stuff out. They'd give us like USPS tracking numbers for like parts. It would never move. You know, so the customer's calling in. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And our customer service agent at the time would communicate with our, our agent, I guess, at the supplier. And this woman had just started her job like kind of recently into, you know, yeah, you just start started, and she's like, I don't even know what's going on here. She would call up like, uh, like our customer service person, like crying, because it's just like she wasn't able to get anything done. The the VP of the company must have been just like, like a complete narcissist or something. In that he's just he's lying to her. He's just weaving all these webs to not do things and to keep our money, and it came to the point where. You know, we were kind of 
we never dealt with such a thing before. So we're like, okay, but it'll ship out eventually. I don't know what's going on, but nonetheless, we kept, you know, feeding them orders. Some would go out, but over time, less and less started going out. And it got to the point, we must have had somewhere between fifteen dollars to $20,000 worth of orders with them. And they were charging us. And they were not providing tracking, not providing proof that these orders had shipped. And I would call this guy. And, you know, the second you try to, like, bring up, like, what, what the hell is even going on? Get very defensive. And... It got to a point where it was just no question that they were just trying to take our money and run. Yeah, there was something weird going on. There was something weird going on. And long story short, we had to file, it was like $15,000 worth of chargebacks against this company. And once we did that, that's kind of when they came back. They're like, oh, like, how can we work this out? And, and all this nonsense. But... This was at a very important time for this business because we were right on the cusp of selling it. And, you know, this was all happening after we had agreements to sell the, uh, to sell the company and everything was kind of going through and it's just coming to head that this supplier is just complete bullshit. So, you know, we could have just easily sold the business to this person and let them figure it out and, and deal with it for themselves and take the hit on the, you know, that money or whatever. But um, I think we did the right thing and we kind of told them the situation and we basically worked it out to where we changed the price on what we sold it for to not include this uh, supplier. And we made it clear, you know, if they wanted to do business with the supplier, they got their, the risk is all on them. We've done some big orders with them, but this is what's going on. And um, unfortunately, that person went on and tried to do more business with them. And they lost like $50,000, something like that, off the same type of thing. So they bought the store from us for a lesser amount because we decided to exclude a lot of the value from the sales we had done with them that had gone well. So that was that. But then... The, the the guy decided to, at his own risk, do business with the supplier after we told him not to, and you know, kind of messed himself up. Yes, yes. Tim said, "Do we want to call out the supplier?" I don't think we want to name names. We'll tell you personally, Tim. Yeah, if you want to message us, but. Anyway, so that, that, that's the Bernie Madoff archetype. Are, are they still around? I just looked it up. Their website's going. Looks like they're on Empire theme. Wow. Actually, I don't know what this theme is, but... Yeah, I don't know. They're on Home Depot. Interesting, because I don't see anybody else selling them. Yeah, it's interesting how these company dynamics work. Like... <gasps> I mean, having not had a, a regular job for a while, I, and I feel like when it comes to different small to medium-sized businesses, there's so many different things that could go on. Like if you get one person in like a position of any sort of power and they 
you know, do something that's uh, un unethical. Like, I feel like one person can mess up a whole, like, a whole thing. Well, this was really the owner that was causing this issue. And I remember, um, you know, the person we sold the business to was like, he was like, I'm going to go down there. He's like, I'm going to drive down there. I'm going to have a talk with this guy, whatever. And I think he even got in touch with the owner or he was talking to, I don't know who he was talking to, but he was basically like, I'm going to sue these people. And the VP or whatever was like, it doesn't matter. We're just going to shut this down and change the LLC and <laughs> keep going, you know? So it was truly, uh, at the, it was corrupt at the ownership level. Right. But I just don't understand. I, I'm, I don't know how it got to that point because it was good at a yeah. certain point. And then it just, there had to have been something that happened that well made it go wrong. To to kind of liken it to the Bernie Madoff thing, in the beginning with the Bernie Madoff stuff, you know, they talk about a lot of it was not wanting to upset people or always wanting to be the person that looks like, you know, they're uh, able to come out on top. And he develops this reputation of always being like, you know, never making bad trades or whatever, whatever. Um, but in the end, all that pressure builds up and you wind up having to put on this facade to cover up the fact that you're not like that. So maybe it was something like, yeah, they had these products and they're shipping them out and all was good. But, you know, when they didn't have stock, they started taking our money anyway and they were trying to dance around it and hopefully stock came in and it was just like, they didn't want to just right. give us a refund. They wanted to just hold on to the money. Right. Right. You know, maybe they so. invested it into milk coin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they threw it already. They already spent the money. Who knows? And they're just trying to cover that up. So I don't know. I don't know. What is this? Oh. Okay. So, all right. So this is the this is the last one. But I have, I have two pictures for this. <laughs> so, the theme here is terrible company company infrastructure and decision making. And so this goes along with what you were saying, Joe, about you know taking back orders and not being able to service them. But also, what I was also thinking here was like suppliers that would sell on their own website and like undercut us and do shit like that. But this is kind of more of a, of a broad one. So <clears throat> yeah, this is actually one of our yeah. biggest suppliers of all time um, was like this. Yeah. It, it was kind of like we went from, I guess they were a pretty big company. And this is kind of what I was talking about before is like, at one point we were like, they were, they brought in like a new CEO or something. And we were like meeting with the CEO and they're going to do this, this, and this. And then a couple months later, that CEO is gone. There's like a different guy. And so, yeah, it, it like, it was crazy. Yeah. And a lot of this happened, you know, really got exposed during the pandemic or whatever. Um, Cause we basically with this one supplier I'm thinking of, we would go and place orders on the website, on their website, like with like their, their back end, And, you know, 
pandemic happens, we're selling like just boatloads of items for the, this company. And it all came that they were not able to get these items in. They kept saying, oh, two weeks, two weeks. And then, you know, four months later, these items never come in. We're having to do all these refunds. And you have to imagine when your company infrastructure is terrible, it's very likely that your accounting is going to be terrible. There's going to be issues. And I mean, Joe, we had, we had one of our uh, VAs go through like our credit card charges or just analyze all the refunds that we gave out um, and that we were supposed to get back from this company. And she uncovered like thousands and thousands of dollars that we did not get back from the supplier. We did get it back eventually, I think. Well, because yeah, because we told them, "Hey, give the money back." They weren't, they weren't yeah. crooked. Yeah, no, they weren't. They just, they just disorganized. Yeah, but if we didn't have, if we hadn't dove deep and figured out those charges, we would have never got those back. Yeah, they had missed out on giving us thousands and thousands of dollars that they should have given to us. On top of, yeah, there were many instances with this supplier where there was a deep, a deep dive done. And things were uncovered that were, you know, were missed. Yeah. Yeah. And even this company, like just poor product quality for a lot of things. Um, so there'd be damage. There'd be they just, they just operated everything at such a mediocre level. And it came down to just the, the top end company decision-making. Yeah. The funny thing is though, is that, this company, I mean, it worked. Like, we did really well with them. They're still around. I assume they're still doing really well. And I, I don't even know, like, what is it that makes them do well? Is it just they bring in stuff at, like, a cheap enough price and people go nuts for it? Like, what is it? What makes them continue to do well? Or are they even doing well? Because I remember when we were meeting with the CEO. I mean, they're managing all the, you know, the inventory and, and you know, they had they had challenges, but you know, they seem to keep chugging along. Yeah. Who knows what was going on, but I, you know, we sold this store and um, this was our biggest supplier by far. We were their biggest dealer and now they're not on that website anymore. So I don't know what happened, but really their problem was they had their, their toes dipped in too many things. They were trying to do the dealer stuff, but they were also selling on their own site. They were selling on Wayfair. They were selling on Amazon. They were selling really cheap items. They were selling really expensive items. Whereas yeah. if they just narrowed in on like selling their, these high price items and not having to stock all this cheap stuff and you know, whatever, they'd be able to put more focus into packaging them, into shipping them properly, into giving better service. And you know, maybe if you're not selling on your own website or whatever, as heavily, you can focus more on your dealers and, and it just frees up a lot of capacity because if you have this huge website, you're taking calls of like regular customers and you got to take calls with your dealers and you're doing different sales on your front end with, you know, your customer facing stuff and you're giving less margin to your dealers. The customers are calling you. They say, Hey, this website's doing 40% off. You only have 20% margin. So they're just trying to wear too many hats, trying to please too many people, trying to be in too many different industries 
that it just results in in mediocrity all around. Right. Yeah. And when we had our meetings with the CEO, I mean, he was thinking. I guess he was thinking of bringing it more into the dealer direction, which would be us. But then on the other side, he's like, you know, we got to do all the all these other things. So it was one of the things, you know, we were trying to tell we were trying to tell this to the CEO, like you can't be doing all these things. Like you kind of got to pick one. And it's everything's kind of working against each other. Yeah. So. This supplier, honestly, you know, we did very well with them. And that's because I think that they're, number one, we had good margins with them. Um, their support was just good enough that we were able to get by. Their product quality was just good enough. But if they had just done things a little bit better and not undercut us and, you know, been more dealer focused, who knows where we could have taken it, you know, because they, they were really, really good at product creation. Like knowing what the marketplace yeah. needed we were converting for some crazy generic keywords with them exactly because they were one of the only people fulfilling this need you know what i'm saying like if, if a customer is searching for a generic product they're searching for a spin bike and you're one of three companies that are making a, a spin bike then it's just natural that you're going to be making those sales yeah um, so yeah it could it could have been better but, Joe, I got to say, I hate The Office. I never really watched it. People are going to get pissed. No. I'm saying this, but. There's a British version, too. Uh, yeah, I've never watched that one. But just the. Um, you know, you know why I don't like it, Joe? Because I don't want to be in The Office. <laughs> it like it gives me PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Look Imagine at, being back in a cubicle. I'm looking at their suits right now. Thing and I don't want to be wearing one of those. Yeah. All the men are just like dorky. I don't know. Like I, I don't want. I don't want to be like any of these people. You know what I'm saying? You know who I want to be like? Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> He's taking it easy, right? What else has he got to do? I think he lives in Long Island. Is that, is that good or bad? He's from Long Island. No, I know. It's just crazy. Like, I don't know. You go to Long Island, you think, like, who, who would want to live here? Like, the I mean, they, you got the Hamptons. You got it. There's a lot of. No, I know. I, I think the, the, the Hamptons, because there's only like one road into it, it's like good if you're, if you're like super rich and you're like deep, deep in there. Yeah. But the rest of Long Island, it's like the traffic is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know too much about living on Long Island, but. That's that's a big issue is the traffic. But when you're Jerry, I don't know. <laughs> so let's get some questions here. I have several business financing contacts. Is there any value in offering financing for these high ticket items? Sure, there's value in it. Some people will use financing. Um, I don't know what these contacts can offer you that something like shop pay can't do that most people have access to now on their Shopify stores. Um, but the reality is maybe let's say shop pay covers up to $15,000 purchase price. I find that people that use the financing are buying cheaper items. They're worse customers, but they really only account for like 10, 10% of your orders. So 
doing something like this isn't going to make or break your business. Um, most people just pay with regular credit card or whatever, no matter the price point, you know. Trevor said, how are your stores that you've sold over the years doing today? How many went to shit? This is a good question. Um, this is a very good question. I don't think we exactly know all the details. Yeah. So there was the one that we sold for like 133000 that we talk about in the um, niche, niche selection masterclass. If you go to buildassetsonline.com slash class and you go, you get into our course, you could see well, we, we reveal this exact store. We go on it. We talk about all the products, all the suppliers, et cetera, to show you how to create your store. Um, but this one, I do believe went to shit. This was years later. So we, the person we sold it to sold it for a lot more than us. Um, which I think was a result of the pandemic, but also just a result of when we sold it, we kind of sold it a bit early, which is fine. Um, but it went to shit because of the owners just not having any, any idea what they were doing. And they basically took too many back orders probably. And then I think they got in trouble with chargebacks. And so they got their uh, Shopify payments cut off and it just basically, they got screwed from there. I think they were a very wealthy owner that was kind of disconnected from the day to day right. of the yeah. business. And that, you know, when a store goes to shit because of that, I mean, that's what I, I mean, that's, that's kind of to be expected, I think. Yeah. I, I personally wouldn't buy a dropshipping business if I wasn't willing to take on some sort of ownership and have some sort of idea of how to run it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Um, there was the one that we sold for like 80,000 that was, that did go to, you know, just regular people. Um, but they had never run a dropping business before. And I don't know that, that one's still up. I don't really know how it, how it does. Yeah. They were nice people, but, um, they were like boomers and yeah. apparently they were looking to, I think, you know, they had extra money that they were looking to kind of invest for, I guess, like kind of like re quasi retirement type deal, I believe. So again, I feel like that's not a situation that's conducive to growing a drop shipping store boomer plus, you know, just throwing money around for quasi retirement when it comes to buying businesses online versus selling them. Um, I think the ratio of qualified people that you get buying is much lower than selling. Cause if you sell it, so if you're selling it, you've obviously built it, you know how it works, but it, we're, we actually are in the process of selling a blog site right now. And, you know, you just have so many people that have no idea what they're buying or what they're getting into. They just oh, have yeah, dude. Clue. Some of the questions that were coming through that I was looking at, I was like, why are you even interested in this? Yeah. What are you even uh, astounding? But we'll talk about that. Hopefully uh, everything goes through well. Fingers crossed. We can, we can talk more on that. And then there was the big one that we just sold. And that one is a whole other can of worms that, uh, Maybe yeah. in a few, maybe in a few years, we'll do like a full, yeah, uh, thing on that full tell all, yeah. But that one is still functioning. It's still doing like 
last I looked, the the sales were in multiple multiple six figures. Um, but if it's suffering, it's because of management mismanagement. Right. Basically, oh. think about it. Think about this. We we were we were running the website, and then a bunch of people bought it. That's like this this picture here. <laughs> so I think they this this group who had a little more experience in the space, and you know I think they have to. Again, it's trying to be managed from such a far distance, and that is, you might be able to get it together and pull it off, but it's going to incur. I think a lot more expenses than you would want with a dropshipping store. Yeah. I don't know. FFF said, I signed up for the free class, but it seems like you're talking about picking a website with a broad ish niche that encompasses a lot of products, but not too broad. Yes. So inside the course, we talk about this more in depth uh, in the niche selection masterclass. We, we sh show you an example of one of our stores that does this. And we show you a few concepts of like the Goldilocks. Um, I forget what I call it. But number one, how to like what? How to identify a home run supplier? Uh, how to have a Goldilocks store? Things like niche branching. So it's really yeah, it is it is a Goldilocks type situation. You don't want a store that's too broad, where you have no direction. We've talked about this on a bunch of other streams too. And you don't want a store that's too narrow and focused on just a limited subset of product types. Like, I don't know what you were saying before, like solar panels or maybe, or like pressure washers. Like if you open up pressure washers are us, how do you know if that's viable or not versus having, you know, la landscaping bros where you have pressure washers, you have just a, a wide array of things that can fit under that umbrella that serve as a, a targeted demographic that you could basically keep going until you find the best suppliers and get, you know, get some traction and uh that's how you create a, create a store that, that's successful flat out so actually if we think about the store that we first sold for six hundred fifty thousand dollars, joe i was just thinking about this when i was trying to brainstorm for this episode and do you remember like the first thing that we ever sold on that that store um no i don't well, remember the first thing. I mean, it was the cheap thing right it wasn't cheap. I think it was like $760, but it was like a heavy industrial product. And basically stuff, the stuff that we sold in the beginning of the store, we did not sell at the end of the store. Right. Yeah, that was. That's, that's what the that, point I'm trying to make was that. That's facts. <laughs> nice. So that's, that's the point you know, I'm trying to get at here. Like if we had just started with that, that thing and locked us down into that, the store wouldn't have been successful, but the way that we angled the store allowed us to kind of branch out and, you know, okay, we sell this, we could also sell this, we sell this, we could also sell this. And then eventually we found just the, the angle that we wanted to be in the product types we wanted to focus on. And then we just drilled down on that. So, yeah. Amazing Sports said, so protect yourself from suppliers, only use credit cards instead of ACH or wire. Um, there's going to be some instances where you have to ACH your suppliers, such as how they do it. But uh, you can you'll want to make sure the stuff is shipping promptly. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, so he said some suppliers only accept this and charge about a 3% fee for credit cards. So it may be worth taking the hit on the credit card. Hopefully you got like a 2% cash back card. Um, if, if you're skeptical about them, then I'd say just take the 1% hit, you know, get some cash back, whatever. All right. Uh, by the way, I got to go to the bank. So. Oh, we got to cut off here. Yeah. Our boy, All right, well. Our boy waiting for me. We'll cut it off then. Yeah, we're about a minute and ten in. So this was this turned out better than I thought, I'd say. So yeah. Anyway, thank you guys. We're gonna cut it off, but go to buildassetsonline.com slash class, get more free info from us, see products we've sold, see how we've created a portfolio of over a million dollars in dropshipping assets, how you can do the same. And then hopefully we see you inside the course. We could talk more there. But that's it. It's a nice Saturday morning stream. Joe is like a Charizard right now, about to uh it's about to evolve. Yeah. About to go to the bank. So hope to uh see you guys soon. Have a good weekend. And as always, take it easy.